want to tell you about one of our partners, Quetzal Education Consulting. Quetzal Education Consulting is a queer, black, and indigenous women-owned firm offering anti-racist consulting, PD, coaching, keynotes, workshops, and more. Their newly released Abolitionist Teaching Workshop series coaches and prepares teachers to further develop abolitionist practices in the classroom. Find out why they have been called The Future of Educational Justice by Dr. Bettina Love. You can book a free consultation with Quetzal by calling 510-397-8011 or visiting quetzalec.com. That is Q-U-E-T-Z-A-L-E-C.com. And if you mention you heard about them through Two Dope Teachers, you will receive a 5% discount on their Abolitionist Teaching PD series. Once again, you can book them by visiting quetzalec.com on their Connect With Us page. What up? How's everybody doing? It's great to be back here. Uh, so happy to get into Arvion's interview. You know, Asia, um, I think we have to acknowledge that uh, something has changed since maybe the last time we got with the people. You you are a doctor now? Yes. 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 So give it up. Give it up for Yay. you. That's it. That's it. Dr. Lyons to y'all. No, y'all, yes. she's she's still Asia. She hasn't she hasn't blown up uh, on us yet. Yeah, that you know of. <laughs> yeah, that I know of. That I know of. That's right. right. That's right. They know me in these streets, kind of, sort of. That's right. Yeah. So, I mean, Arvian, we're excited to hear your story. I think we talked about what, you know, there are questions that we always ask folks. So, so we're going to just go ahead and jump right in. First question always is, tell us your journey into education. What made you decide to become an educator? All right. Well, first, thank you for um, creating space for people like educators like me to tell our story. Um, so my journey started, I actually went to D, I worked in DPS and I went to DPS schools from ECE through 12th grade, um, graduated from East High School, shout out to the angels. <laughs> <laughs> and so, um, and from there, I was actually the president of the engineering club um, at East. And went to Boulder to see you on a full ride scholarship um, to their engineering program. Nice. And by the time I got like ready to go, I was like, oh, I don't want to, I really don't want to be an engineer. I want to be a doctor. And so I switched my major and that first year at Boulder did me in that that's a whole story on its own. Um, but it just was not a good fit. Like program-wise, school-wise, it was terrible. And so I came back to Denver and kind of tried to find my way, worked full-time, like got my own place, took classes here and there, and wasn't really sure what I wanted to do. I always had a passion for 
teaching. I always had a passion for little kids. Um, and people would tell me like, oh, you should be a teacher. And I'm like, teachers don't make no money. Like, <laughs> well, I don't yeah. I'm doing that. <laughs> and so, um, but that's where my heart was. And so I stumbled across um, a, a preschool teaching program at CCD and um, was like, well, let me just take a couple of classes to see. Because at that time I was like in my, early 20s and I wasn't making any progress and I wasn't like figuring it out and so instead of trying to follow the money I was like well let me my heart really is in teaching I would love to teach like especially the littles so um got my certifications from CCD they had preschool certification infant toddler and um director certification did that and then fell in love, was working in the classroom, fell in love. Um, I was also, it was a lab school. So not only was I like teaching the kids, but the adult students would come to observe the classroom and the professors would like kind of guide them through things. And so I loved like that mentorship aspect. So I went to UNC, um, they have an urban education program at Lowry and they had just started an early ed program. So I went there, um, was the first graduate from that early ed cohort and um, went right into DPS. I started as a, a para, then was a sub. Um, and then I started teaching Head Start. I fell in love, went to kindergarten and I just, it was, it was my place. I felt like um, that I had, had arrived. And so at that time, I, um, each grade that I went to, I wanted to have more of an impact. The district started doing like coaching, like what does coach, they were doing the evaluation program, but they started to think like, what if we made teachers coaches too? And they taught half time. And that is a, a full district wide thing now. But at the time when it first started, we were piloting it. And I'm like, I would love to do that. I want to have more of an impact. And so um, did that for a few years and then got, went into administration as a Dean of Instruction um, at Cole Arts and Science Academy. And yeah, and, th and that was that was my journey. Yeah, so from the time that you finished your certifications until, um, spoiler alert, she's no longer teaching, we know that. <laughs> <laughs> How many years were you in the education, education space and the traditional education space? So from the time that I started, um, like the very first, when I first started like teaching private ECE? Yes. Mm -hmm. um, 16 years. 16 years. Wow. Yeah. And yeah. 14 of those years with DPS. Oh, wow. So impressive. So impressive. And I, and I love, you know, that you, you worked your way through it. And I think I can relate always to these stories of like setting out to do one thing, you know, in college and then finding teaching and then having, having a love and a passion for it, you know, that, that you're describing and then also, I would just always say this, shout out to the ECE teachers, all mm -hmm. the, the ECE kindergarten, the early years, the people that like put it all together and make it happen. I'm, I, I'm in awe of my ECE kindergarten, all of that up to like third grade, y'all like, not to say the people after that aren't, but like, 
y'all are putting it all together and dealing with all sorts of stuff. So, and I know, you know, I'm part of the bargaining, the DCTA bargaining team right now. And I know um, I sit on the team with a a couple of ECE teachers and I know that uh, shout out to them and all of y'all ECE teachers that you don't always have the resources needed to accomplish the the work or the time. Um, And there's a lot of needs. Um, So I just have to acknowledge that. Um, So, so you have all this passion, you're working your way all the way through it, right? You, you, you've come up, you've found it. Um, But as Asia alluded to earlier, you, you are no longer a teacher. So can you tell us about some of your experiences as an educator, as a a black woman uh, that you encountered working in the school district that you went to that you that you've lived in let's just say that right let's say it that way the school district that you've lived in but talk about some of those experiences that you had as you uh went through this system um that's a really great question i it at the very beginning of my journey first i couldn't get hired so let's call that (laughs) what it is i graduated summa cum laude like had all of this experience because I had been working in private before I was transitioning into public. And so like my resume wasn't bare, you know, and yet I was transitioning into DPS. I applied for at least 20 to 25 schools, could not get hired, could not get an interview. And so finally, like this black woman at my church who had worked in DPS for a long time and was retired, who then knew some principals and was like, can you just interview her? And so the very first one that called me, I did that interview and that's the job that I got. And so, um, and from there, I later learned like a lot of principals went with Teach for America candidates. Like they were more of a sure thing. That again, could probably be its own conversation. Um, And so from there, I always, um, I felt like I was trying to, I spent the majority of my career trying to be Black excellence. I wanted the students, I wanted the rest of the staff to be able to see like not just a Black educator, but like I wanted to be the cream of the crop. You know, I wanted to be the top. I wanted their experience to be so rich, so different, so authentic, so natural, so free. And so that was kind of what I held with me. And with the kids at first, I was really impactful. Like I got distinguished three years in a row because they told me you could only like if you ever actually get it you'll only get it once and I was like oh wow challenge accepted (laughs) got you got you (laughs) and so once I was able to do that then I'm like this everything is a system right like we approach it as a system so then when the coaching opportunity came I wanted to then like kind of shift the way that we think about educating and the way that we think about teaching. Um, And so it was a, a, I constantly felt this call to have more impact outside of what my hands were directly on. Um, However, you know, like the, the heart, the higher that I went up in title, the more I felt like my hands were tied. And so I was having even less of an impact than I thought that I would. 
Yeah, it's interesting that you say that because we've heard that from several folks who've come on our podcast where there has been like some assumption that, well, if I just get to this place, then surely I'll be able to make the impact that I want to make sure that our kids get what they need. And and it's just like not happening over and over again, right? And this is different districts all over the country. Really now at this point, we've been, you know, interviewing folks from all over, right, Kevin? Yep, yep, for sure. It's a common thread, a common thread. Yeah. So like, so the, the, our next question is like, what was that last straw where it was just like, it's time to go? What was that situation or situations that helped you decide like, I'm not distinguished or not, it's just time to move on? Yeah, I, um, my transition to administration was also a shift. It was a change in school. So it was a lot of newness happening and, um, that school that year the first week of school we had a shooting on campus within that first month we had a gun like on site and then that was the year of the strike so you could imagine again even just being in administration during that time I was also on a team of leaders of color all new to role and so the lack of like support that we had was mind-blowing um, however, it was the, an impacted community that the community that that's, um, the East side of Denver, those are my people. Like it, yep. this is the work. This is what I wanted to be an excellent, to be in a space like this, to do this type of work. So while on one side, I felt like I was being beat down by the lack of support in doing the work. I was still so encouraged and empowered by the community that I was in. And so, um, and then the pandemic. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And so that created a whole other thing. And um, I still wrote it through. The other two leaders left at the, the very beginning and I still kind of wrote it out. Um, but then I started, the pandemic was hard on me personally. And so I had some grief that I was working through, which led me to um, going to therapy and getting some support. And I started to prioritize my wellness in a way that not only had I never done in my life, but was never modeled for me by any other adult or any of my peers. And so the space that I had to like do a deep dive where I thought I was going for grief, but what unpacked especially that was caused through like being a black educator in these streets. I was like, I can't prioritize my healing and do this work this way. Like not, they, they both can't coexist, not for me and, and certainly not right now. And so um, that led me to work part-time last year where I could maintain both. I was not a homeroom teacher and I was only there half of the time. And then I was, my wellness and healing was the other half of the time on top of like, you know, we still got a mother and all that. Um, And through that is where I like started to, as I started to peel off some of that trauma, I'm like, there's a whole person here that I don't know. Mm-hmm. There's a whole person here that that wants that cares about other stuff too. 
And there's another way to do things. And so, um, so from there, I worked part-time last year and um, decided to start like two other businesses. Never thought I would be an entrepreneur. That was like not on my list, but here we are and yeah. still doing the work, but just doing it differently. Yeah. I want to back up a little bit because we don't, we haven't asked this question in a while, Kevin. And now that you've mentioned your children, I want to ask the question of when you were having like experiencing this shift, right? Where it was like, I'm going to start going to therapy. I'm going to start taking care of self and like really rejecting what was happening in the school space. How did your family support that work or did it? I don't want to make an assumption. How did they or did not support you going to part-time, making these shifts and, you know, things like that. We'll get into the the part about um, you having two uh, two different careers right at this moment, but <laughs> we love. I love to know more about the family yeah. aspect of that. Yeah, that um, that family aspect is huge because, as you know, like you don't always have the privilege. Like working part time was something I never had was able to do in in my adult life. Like we needed the adults to work the whole time and so that really caused like I went to my husband the first few months into therapy and I'm like this this can't like this is starting to unlock a whole different space for me and I can't go back full time so what I need you to pick up my other half and what does that look like and how does that shift our life um and so he then changed things so that it created some financial freedom for me and um, which made him like gone more. And then my mother-in-law and my mother like started to support more with the kids. So then it's really easy for mothers to then put their, oh, I have free time. I have free energy, like it's going into the children in the household. But my two mothers then picked up that slack on that end so that it gave me space. And, and I was very transparent of what that space was for and why I had to have it. And so with, um, so with my family, I feel like they have all been supportive and it's something that I've said before, but it's just healing and like wellness is, is for everybody. Like everybody needs it and not everybody has the access or understanding for it. And I, I felt like my transparency made it so like, even though the people in my life weren't governing their lives that way, they would be able to learn from my process. And so it was important to me to be really open about what that looks like. Um, and I am so grateful because then I was able to take the space needed without any extra burden on my family. I think that's, that's, uh, you know, really interesting. And, um, Asia can tell you, like, I think there is this toll for, uh, black women educators that, that is like, that is we haven't really delved into and I think there's a different experience based on our interviews and my own experience as a black male educator that uh black women are going through that and and I think when you when you center what you said your journey was about 
you know, to that wellness was part of that space of like finding yourself as a black woman and, and managing, you know, your obligations or, or what you perceive to be your obligations even, right? And the whole big picture. So um, I think I think that's an important point to- Yeah, to really... that's- Go ahead. Sorry, that's a huge point um, because a lot of my self-work was like wrestling with the responsibility, like, me, I was always functioning at like way over my capacity. And so mm-hmm. when there is space for me to do nothing. It was so hard for me to do nothing, like quote unquote, like to, to pull back. I felt like I'm not, I had to deal with like, I'm not doing enough. You know, I'm not, I'm only at the school part-time. So I'm only doing so much there. And even here, I'm not, I'm not doing as much. And it, that was a part of the work is like, holding that space and, and even doing what I was doing was more than enough, but understanding that and feeling like we're always, we're as in black women are always over. We're always over the threshold. We're always functioning way past what is healthy and safe. And so, um, that, that was its own, (laughs) that was, and it, and still is its own journey. Yeah. Yeah. That's all. Ah, I, I, yeah, I hundred, I'm so glad we asked that question and I'm just thinking about all the black women in education and outside of education who are listening to this podcast. And I hope that they're hearing, right. Like you don't have to run around busy. I was talking to a good friend of mine who's been on the podcast, Stacey Brandon, shout out to Stacey Taylor Brandon. And we were talking about, I was specifically talking about like reclaiming the word lazy because she was like, I don't want to, I don't mean to say lazy, but I just want to hang out. And I'm like, yeah, let's reclaim lazy. That's right? it. Ha- hashtag reclaim lazy. <laughs> yeah. Like I want to be lazy and I don't want to feel like, okay, well, I'm going to wait till the, the, I can hear the door open up and then jump up and start vacuuming. I don't want to do that. I want to be lazy. I want to be lazy and be okay with that. And not have all the guilt behind that. Right. Um, yeah. Thank you for sharing that piece. So then our question we ask him, Kevin always laughs because he already knows how I feel about this, but what do you think that unions and school districts and admin can do? She's already shaking her head. Kevin, did you see that? Up, up. Now, hold on, <laughs> Asia. Hold on. She could be shaking her head because she's got something really pro- profound that we haven't heard on this question. <laughs> Uh, something's telling me, Kevin, that's not the case, but I'm just going to go ahead and see what she says. What do you think unions, admin, um, school districts can do to keep Black educators in the classroom or in the, the education space in the traditional sense? Um, this question <laughs> is really, yeah. So I really feel like Number one, there is the system, the spaces are not created for Black educators. And so the the space in essence, the systems in essence, they need to be a nurturing space for Black educators to show up authentically and where they are also like acknowledging the experience and the knowledge that they're bringing to the table and it's valued. And this looks like them being involved in the work, like you should be able to kind of, it's like that sense of 
um, with your, your kids. Like, I know that they're doing what they're supposed to be doing, even if I'm not, like, even if I didn't ask them or tell them. So you should be able to see the effects of what it looks like for a system to be honoring their Black educators by the work that is there. And so what does that look like in the self-awareness for the individuals and the program awareness? Do the Black educators have an authentic space at the table? And, and what, is, what is that like? Like in shifts in mindsets and actions. And then you got to pay them. Like that is, that is, that is where we are. The value that Black educators have, obviously to students of color, but to everyone, Need, everyone needs to be on the same page of recognizing that, that this is not a Black thing, this is like the right thing. And once that is accepted, and once you are, again, valuing them in that space, and like I would say, question systematically, like program-wise, what value looks like for your Black educators, then they'll be there. And, and, and pay is involved, like pay. Is that, is that it? So, uh, Ariane, I just need, uh, I just, uh, can, do I have permission to play this segment at the bargaining table <laughs> on Wednesday when we go back for now? No, we can, we take this part <laughs> out, but, but yeah, this is like what we, this is like what we've been saying. They don't, don't seem to hear us on the points that you're making, but, but that's, that's a whole other story. Whole other story. Yeah, so we're going to go ahead and go to commercial break. We'll be back in a little bit. We are back. I am Kevin Adams, and we are here with Dr. Asia Lyons and our guest, Arvion Harper. And Arvion has just been telling us about her journey through the Denver public school system. Uh, and we, we just say, you know, for life, a lifer. Or, but now she's now she's finally been sprung, right? Um, so Asia, <laughs> if you want to pick back up. Yeah, so my favorite question, um, and the reason why I decided this was a great podcast to have in the first place is, now that you've left traditional classroom spaces, what are you doing now? What are you doing with your time? How are you filling your days or not filling your days? Tell us as much as you would like to tell us, give us all the details. Yeah. Um, so for my traditional work now is I'm doing educational consulting, which allows me the space to still do the work. And that is what is important to my heart. And so being able to support schools and support nonprofits and people who are committed to doing the work differently, to their showing up with authentically and with integrity and accountability. And they all where the awareness on like what we're doing and who we're doing it for and the impact on that has been in just a short amount of time has been so beautiful and exactly like what my heart needed because I care about the work. So, um, so for that, that looks like me doing more coaching, which I love because coaching is so connected to teaching. And so that brings me so much joy. Um, some curriculum development, and like leading professional learning. And so all of the things that I did um, when I was, was working for the district. And the other side to my life is I have a passion project and 
Um, I have a mobile espresso bar and bookshop and I make the best coffee. Like coffee for me is unlike any that you've ever had. I make all of my syrups from scratch. Um, and I also, yeah, so it's legit. It is, it is an experience. Um, and I also sell books for all ages from just black authors. And so, oh, wow. Pause. Wait a minute. (laughs) (laughs) wait a second first of all when we talked you did not mention this book part so i was trying to hold it down like i'm like wait a minute we'll just big big listen to me okay we're gonna talk after this because go ahead just continue go ahead (laughs) go ahead and so um i love Coffee at first for me in my adulthood was a necessity, but now it has been so, it brings me so much joy, brings me so much peace, brings me so, so all of the good feels. And so to be able to make like really good coffee for people, like with my like black girl magic on it it has been wonderful. And then I am such a reader, literacy, like teacher lover. Um, And so again, these stories, bringing these stories that are written by Black people is just a beautiful thing. So I'm at, um, I do local markets. I'm always at Rebel Marketplace, which is every first and third Saturday at Del Mar Park. Um, And yeah, so my time is spent doing the things that I love only. That's the only space that I hold. (laughs) There we go. We love that. (laughs) <laughs> we need name names of name of your consulting firm, yeah, and the name of your coffee book, magical, all that, yeah. Um, emails, ways they can reach you, things like that. We need details. Okay, my consulting um, LLC is A L H Ed Consulting, and you can uh, send me an email a harper at a l h ed consulting dot com. I'm also, um, you can also find me on social media. My coffee company is called Awakening Cafe and um, it's on Instagram. Um, and you can also message me there. And then I, I do other local markets, but the one that I'm always at is Rebel Marketplace, which is also, a, it's a beautiful space created for like people of color, urban farmers and it is every first and third Saturday at Del Mar Park. And you do, you take your coffee cart, your book cart, and you take it to schools, I've heard. So it's yeah. mobile. People can call you, co- corporate schools, philanthropy, call you, and you'll show up. Yeah, absolutely. We just did um, five schools in one week. Um and set up coffee for their teachers that were doing PD. And so again, teachers love coffee, but like my coffee is a whole other experience. It has that black girl magic coffee. That's right. That's that's the real deal. It was beautiful. So yeah, we do events. We do um, like we'll cater a meeting, all of that. Schools, businesses, it's great. Kevin, did you notice when she's talking, like look at her face. She's smiling so hard. She's smiling. So much happiness. (laughs) Yeah, that's so dope. A testament to to getting out. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So Asia is smiling too, because whenever she hears these stories, she's just like, yes, yes, more inspiration for the movement. 
Yeah. Yeah. And specifically too, we've had a lot of folks who've gone into consulting or a nonprofit sector and different things. We've had just a few folks who've gone totally out of the box of education. Um, uh, Michael Diaz Rivera has his cannabis uh, company where he does like deliveries. Um, delivery, yep, yep. deliveries. Um, I think it's Better Days. Better uh, Days Deliveries. I, I think, think it is. So, yeah, I think so. Yeah. And so it's really cool that I'm, I'm, I always ask that question. We ask this question because we want folks to know like it's not, you don't have to just be with you or run away completely. You can do something of both or in between to think about the things that you love that are your passion projects or things that you've been thinking about doing and show up. And I've, I've been, I've experienced coffee cards lots of times, right? And so like, what does it mean for us to just really get creative, sit down and say like, what do I love to do? What was gonna make me smile in the morning? Even though I have five, like five schools to get to, I'm totally okay with. Um, and so, yeah, like shout out to, to you and folks who are out there saying, you know what, I've said this before, Kevin and I, we talk about this all the time. We don't die. We thrive out here. That's right? it. That's yeah. It. So our last question, our favorite, Kevin, I'll let you ask it. Go ahead. So our last question, hold on, Asia, you, you go ahead and ask it. You got to remind okay. me. It's been a minute. <laughs> What's bringing you joy these days? There we go. There we go. Thank you. That's yeah. what I thought it was. <laughs> I want to make sure. So much. Um, being free <laughs> is bringing me joy. Being open, being able to be creative and adventurous and just me and like the discovery, the self-discovery has mm. brought me so much joy um, in reading. Like, I get to read all the time and I have such a bookworm. So I, it, that's hard to do when you are working the nine to five. And then after you work, you still work in like you working on the weekends. I couldn't read like that. And so now I can read all the time. And so that, that is bringing me all the joy. Wow. That's fantastic. Right, so I, I love, I love your story because like it, it in Asia always, I think that's her goal with every every season is to get me to say, you know, uh, that I'm I'm leaving. But you just give me these options, and I always say I, I don't want to. There's certain stuff, but your your coffee cart, it's got me thinking. It's got me thinking of all of the possibilities. I could be out there and do my thing, you know. And oh. and as you point out, we got a lot to offer. We got a lot to offer. So much. Yeah. It's um. I was always great. I always did everything with a certain level of excellence. Like I was always committed to the work. And the person that I am now with my like liberation is so different. And it's like, there is space for me to still show up in excellence, right? But still be free and, and so much joy comes along with that. And it's, it's powerful. Yeah, I love that. The liberation, the freedom. Ah, oof. Okay. <laughs> well, good folks, another fantastic episode of the Exit Interview. We'd like to thank you all for listening. Again, check out RVN. Check out what she's doing. If you're in the corporate space in the Denver metro area, 
call her support black business make sure you get these syrups make sure you get these books right so if you're not in education that's okay right get out there and support her work um we that's appreciate it. having you on the show thank you yeah. so much i was so glad to be here yeah all right well you all have a great day and we'll talk to you later Bye. 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 Bye.